Amen. Our reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. And we'll read from verse 9 together. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. It's page 970 in the Pew Bible. Matthew 6, verse 9, the Lord Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Amen. Stand again as we sing, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven. Father, again, we ask, flowing from the love that you have for your people, as undeserving, as unworthy as we are, we ask that you would be pleased to speak to us and grant us grace to hear that all you would say, to hear all you would say, and not only to hear all that you would say, but to, to live in the light of your word, to trust in you not only in this place, but to trust in you in the very difficult places of each of our lives, to seek and to strive in the strength that you provide, to honor your great name, to make our Lord and Savior known, and to see the power of your Spirit working in and through us. So come, Lord, and speak to your people, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you cast your minds back beyond Easter Sunday, which was last week, uh, Good Friday, Palm Sunday, you may remember the Sunday before that, we began a very short series in the Lord's prayer. And we thought primarily about uh, the, the petition uh, asking the Lord to provide our daily bread to meet our material needs. We remembered firstly the, the priority of prayer in the life of our Lord. Uh, he had so much 
good stuff to be doing. And yet he made sure that he took the time to be alone, to be apart, to be away from the noise and from the needs and to pray to his heavenly Father. And his, his followers were keen, uh, seeing how their Lord prioritized prayer to learn how to pray themselves. And so the Lord Jesus taught them how to pray. The Lord Jesus gave them and us this great gift that we call the Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew chapter 6. And in this prayer is this petition for the Lord to meet our material needs, for the Lord to provide our daily bread. God has created us as flesh and blood human beings. He has given us bodies, and the bodies He has given to us require shelter and food if they are to survive and to thrive. And as we pray for God to provide our daily bread, we acknowledge our daily dependence upon Him. None of us are truly self-made men or self-made women. We were made by God and we are sustained ultimately by Him. We may work long and hard to provide shelter and food for ourselves and our families, but it is God who ultimately provides the means and the health and the strength and the opportunity for us to work and to earn and to provide. And every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we remind ourselves that we are utterly dependent upon Him every single day of our lives. Give us our daily bread. It all comes ultimately from His hand. And so God's people should never be a people who are puffed up with pride, and we should always be a people who are overflowing with gratitude and with grace. And the very same is true when we come to today's petition. We move from give us to forgive us. Each of us, no matter who we are, has broken the law of God. We have fallen short of the standards that He requires. We have said to the eternal, almighty, sovereign, creator God, that we know better than Him. We have said to Him, I am wiser than you. Every time we sin, that is what we say to God. Whether it's a big sin, or a wee sin, or a somewhere in between sin, what we are saying to God in that moment is, I know better than you. I know what you have said, I know what you would want, but I know what will make me happy and fulfilled better than you do. And that's what we say even in the smallest of sins to God. So every sin 
is profoundly serious. Because we are wronging the God who created us, the God who sustains us. And God, by His very nature, cannot and will not overlook sin. He is holy and He is just and He is all-seeing. So if you were to commit a crime in Airdrie, I'm not trying to teach you how to commit a crime and get away with it, but if you were to commit a crime in Airdrie, you would probably look for a place that wasn't covered by CCTV, wouldn't you, if you were sensible? There are some areas in Airdrie that are uh, covered by CCTV, but there are other areas that are not. And your best chance of committing a crime and getting away with it is to commit that crime in a place that is not overlooked by these wee cameras in the sky. But God's eyes are all-seeing. Nothing is hidden from Him. All is laid bare before Him. Everything that is done behind closed doors, everything that, that remains in our minds and in our hearts, it's all laid bare before Him. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. But there is good news. The word gospel itself just means good news. We are gospel people. We are a people who have good news to remember and to celebrate and to share with others. And the good news is this, that Jesus was made man for us. He was made a flesh and blood human being just like you and just like me. He was tempted and tested in every way just as we are. But unlike us, He never failed. He never fell short of the standards that God requires. As a human being, Jesus was able to represent his own people. Think, if you will, of the, the Philistines and the Israelites in 1 Samuel 17. So the Philistines are over there on that hill. The Israelites are over here on this hill. And in between, there's a valley. And they're all lined up with all their weaponry and all their uh, their, their, their gear on. And what they could do would be to charge into the valley and they could have a big bloody battle where many would die and be maimed. But it's perfectly legitimate for them instead of doing that to pick one person, to pick their biggest and their best warrior to step forward and to fight. The champion of the Philistines against the champion of the Israelites. And if the champion of the Philistines wins, all of the Philistines win. If the champion of the Israelites wins, all of the Israelites win. 
So out steps this great warrior called Goliath from the ranks of the Philistines. And the Israelites look up at the size and the scale of this man. And then they look down at their shoelaces, presumably. They're trembling and cowering, hoping not to be chosen to step forward and to fight this great warrior. They know that they would have no chance against a man like that. But out steps the shepherd boy, David, with his sling and his stones, and he takes down this great giant Goliath. And the Israelites, the people of God, rejoice, because this isn't just a victory for David. No, this is a victory for all of them, because he has represented his people in battle. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. He lived his life on behalf of his people. He was tempted and tested just like we are, but he never failed. He never fell short. He was never beaten by sin. He stayed true and good and pure. He lived in perfect obedience to his Father and to the law of God. He was perfect in thought and in word and in deed every single day of the life that he lived. Jesus is the new David who has succeeded on behalf of the people of God, who has triumphed and won a great victory on behalf of his people. And Jesus is the new Adam who has succeeded where Adam and all since Adam have failed. We remembered recently not just the life that Jesus lived, but the death that Jesus died on the cross. That's the message of Good Friday. He took our sin, our guilt, our shame, and our punishment as He suffered the agonies of the cross for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Our guilt was given to Jesus. The the technical word is imputed. So our guilt uh, was imputed to Christ as he died on the cross. Our sin was given to him. But that's only half of the story. Because this great exchange saw not only us give Jesus our guilt, no, it saw Jesus give us His righteousness. We have this imputed righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ when we come to faith in Him. 
you owed a debt to God. That's the language, isn't it, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel? Every time you sinned, your debt got greater and greater and greater. And you have this huge debt that you know you could never, ever, in a, even with a, a lifetime of doing good deeds, never pay it back to God. But Jesus came and paid that debt for you. I heard quite recently that uh, in the ancient world, when there was an invoice or a bill that was to be paid, you would give it to the person to whom you owed the money, you would give them the money, and they would write something on that invoice, on that bill. The word that they would write was tetelestai, which means it's finished or it's done. Effectively, in that context, it means it's paid in full, it's over. And what was the words that Jesus said as he breathed his last on the cross? He said, Tetelestai, it is done, it is finished, it is paid in full. And so when we come to him in repentance and faith, that debt that we owed to God is written off by Jesus. It's not swept under the carpet, it's paid but it's not paid by us. It's paid by Him. And our justification is utterly secure. We never lose it when we come to faith in Christ. And yet, if we are honest, we do sin, don't we? We still sin. We don't suddenly become perfect. And that sin, again, if we're honest, does affect our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It doesn't affect our status. When we've come to faith in Christ, we are His child and He is our Father. But it does affect the intimacy of our relationship with Him when we sin. It does affect our peace and our joy in Jesus. It does affect our fruitfulness in His service. So we do need to pray, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins. Remember, this prayer is a prayer that the Lord gave to His followers. It's a prayer that He gave to His people. It starts with Father, addressing God as Father. So this is not a prayer for the unbeliever. This is a prayer for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a prayer for the disciple of Jesus. This is a prayer for the child of God. We are not in danger of losing our identity as His children. But we are in danger when we sin of losing the intimacy that we have in our relationship with our Heavenly Father and losing that awareness of His presence with us and His power within us. So John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But there's more here, isn't there? There's more in this prayer. There's more in this verse. 
Look at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Oh dear. How often Jesus intentionally ties our relationship to God with our relationship to other people. Wouldn't it be that much easier if it were just me and Jesus in glorious isolation? But Jesus never allows us to fall into that trap. He consistently reminds us that our relationship with God, the health and the vitality uh, and the, 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 the intimacy that we share with God is dependent upon the relationships that we build with other people in His name. So Jesus, again, is not saying that we will lose our salvation if we hold on to grudges, if we withhold forgiveness from those who wrong us. But He is saying that if we build a wall and this isn't a dig at Donald Trump, this sermon is apolitical, but he is saying if we build a wall, you know, between us and other people, then we shouldn't expect the relationship that we have with God to be vibrant and to be vital and to be living and thriving and fruitful. If we build a wall between ourselves and others, what right do we have to expect that healthy vibrant, vital, living relationship with God, with the God who has loved us, with the God who has forgiven us in Christ. That humility that sees us call out to God for salvation, that's the same humility that it takes for us to love other people and to forgive other people. You could picture the servant, couldn't you? There's this enormous debt that he owes to the king. A huge debt that he could never hope to pay back. And he comes to the king in humility. And he just falls before the feet of this great king. And he asks for mercy. Doesn't ask for a payment plan. He just asks for mercy. And the king shows mercy to this man. And writes off the debt. And then this man, this servant, who has had this enormous debt written off by the king, leaves the, the, the throne room, goes out into the, the world, and meets a fellow servant. And this fellow servant owes him just a few pounds. He's just had this enormous debt written off. But he chooses not to write off the debt that this fellow servant owes him, small as it is. He demands that he is paid in full. The fellow servant does what he has just done. The fellow servant bows before him. He asks for mercy, but no, there is no mercy. This man demands the few pounds that he is owed. It's obscene. How petty. And how sad that this petty is not, this pettiness is not just found in the parable. No, this pettiness is found in churches. This pettiness is found in the hearts of disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
having had this huge debt forgiven by the king, forgiven by the king of kings, we then hold on to the debts that others owe us. Having received love and mercy and grace, we then turn and refuse to extend love and mercy and grace to others. And in so doing, our relationship with God is deadened and we miss out on so much that He would otherwise be pleased to do in us and through us. Love, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, keeps no record of wrongs. And I wonder if any of us here this morning have some records of wrongs done to us that we are keeping, that we have filed away in our minds and our hearts and we are refusing to let go of. If that is true, then today you are called by God, not by, not by me, but by God Himself, to rip up those records of wrongs and to extend to those who have wronged you the same love and grace and mercy that God has given to you in Christ. Let's love each other and let's love our neighbor as God in Christ has loved us. Let's forgive as He has forgiven us. At times that will be very, very hard and at times that will be very, very costly. But all we need to do is to look to the author and perfecter of our faith who loved us and gave Himself for us on the cross. Whatever He asks of us, it will be a lot less costly, a lot less painful than that. He suffered and He died for us while we were still enemies of God, utterly undeserving. His grace brought us to life. It gave us new birth into a life lived with Him and for Him. And this grace, when it finds a home in our hearts and our minds, this grace doesn't just save us, it changes us. It makes us more like Jesus. It frees us to love others as He has loved us. To love others without having to ask the question, do they deserve my love? Without means testing our love for others. And it's here that we come to know the joy of living in fellowship with our God and Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's here we bring joy to the heart of our Father as we follow in the footsteps of our Lord. It's here where we show the world what the love of Christ looks like and how the world needs to see that and to hear that and then to receive that love. So may He continue to change us. May He continue to make us more like Jesus, the one who loved us and gave Himself for us and the one who was raised to life, who, who ascended on high, who took 
the name that is above every name, who took his rightful place at the Father's right hand, and who continues to love and to lead us as our good and faithful shepherd. May we fix our eyes on him, that we wouldn't grow weary, that we wouldn't become faint-hearted, but that we would continue to love others as he has loved us. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. Anything blocking uh, the the life-giving relationship that we have with you, may they be swept aside. And may that same grace that forgives us free us to follow Jesus and to forgive those who have wronged us. May we be the people that Christ calls us to be. People who radically love and forgive and bless others. Those who bless, even those who curse us. Those who pray for even those who persecute us. As we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it is in his name that we ask these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.